272 TM. A little bit of a uh, political argument here at the moment. As always. Hello, Annie. How <laughs> are you morning. this morning? Come on. Well, I'm blood's pumping now, <laughs> let me tell you. After that, you don't even know how long he was in Hawaii for, do you? No, not anymore. Was it no. a week? See, you don't even know. So you're saying he should have come back sooner, but you don't know how soon oh he my came gosh, back. I don't remember the exact number of Correct. days, but I Correct. remember at the time but thinking he should have You can use that as an come. arrow against me. I'm not using it as an arrow against you. You're staunchly defending Scott Morrison in everything that he does without being was, without casting a critical eye. For the I, listeners on the home, other hand, am saying that I don't look at him as a person and go, he's great, therefore everything he does is great. I look at I, each I individual. everything he said is great. No, he's but a canola supporter you, for a start. That's what you but imply. The, but... No, no, don't imply that. So you use your argument to say, I imply things, but when I don't, when I don't say them, well, you're implying it. How this started, good morning, everybody. Mm. Oh, good morning, listener. It's ScoMo's birthday today. So yes. happy, I just said, happy birthday, ScoMo. And I think he's had a cup, tough couple of years. And I think he's done a really good job. And that's, that's set Annie off. <laughs> saying you never think no, he's had anything, does anything wrong. Said, what? I just want him to have a good birthday. You have said a cupcake today, Scamo. Deserve the whole Correct. vitriol yeah. over the bushfire no. thing. No, I don't. Think I he think does. in some cases it went too far. I think at the moment, I think for the most part he's doing really well with the crisis that is. Correct. I'm he so does sick his of the best. word unprecedented, mm. but he is doing well. Mm. I think during the bushfires that there was a bit of a lack of leadership and inspiration coming from him and he is meant to be that person as the leader of this country as the leader you're meant to stand up no you're meant to stand up and you're meant to unite people and you're meant to reassure them during a time of crisis that you are doing everything that you possibly can and he got there he eventually did say it but he was a bit late to the ball I'm sorry, he got, he got off the plane, right? He was over there taking his kids for a well-earned holiday, which he promised them which for is, six know, or eight months. Don't, look, you tell me I talk over you, right? And you just do it, right? So he was over there doing that. As soon as he realised how bad it was, he jumped on the plane. He got back to Australia. He went straight to the wherever that control centre was with the, with the bloke and the fire brigade people and everything, and he coordinated it from that moment onwards. He didn't even go home, right? He went... Uh, he then he then went straight into the coronavirus and he's done that and ever since and like the guy has not had a day off no, since Christmas. No, and I'm not saying it's and an easy job. And you're telling job. me like he, he, you know what his issue was? He underestimated that bushfire, like most of us did. I underestimated I know, it. You underestimated it. Everybody didn't. Nobody realised it was going to get not that the bad. Prime Minister, though. Yeah, but you don't. You, you, you're, he's just one man. It doesn't matter about that. He I, still didn't know. But you are like determined to think that I am. I just, just wanted to wish him a happy birthday. But then you started. You then you brought up the bushfire thing. You say something nice about someone on their birthday, then, don't you? Yeah. When they have a birthday and at their funeral, you say something nice about someone. But then you brought up the whole was it people in Cabago? They don't like him down there. I like, didn't say that. That? I never mentioned the people in Cabago. What did you just say? There was, you said there were people in one area who weren't a fan of you. I did not say that. Oh my god, we need to listen. And the good back news the is, grab. we will listen back to this because <laughs> I did not say that at all. I am not saying that he's a bad person. I think that he has done fairly well in a lot of horrible circumstances. This has probably been the worst time to be prime minister because you've been slapped with crisis after crisis. Yeah. However, I do think that he took lessons that he learned from a poor handling of part of the bushfire crisis to better how he communicated 
and and the re- ways in which he communicated with the Australian people during this coronavirus pandemic. I think that there has definitely been some lessons learned, which is what you want. So I commend him for that. I commend him for being really open, for being really transparent throughout the process that we're currently going through now. However, I can still criticize him for what he has done and not be being ridiculous and not be a lefty, as you would so like to call it. I didn't say, I didn't call you a lefty at any point. You called me a lefty. I didn't. I said this lefty idea that the, the lefty's saying that he was, I was saying, saying that to you. After I've but I wasn't just what I said was you. the same argument. So you're basically calling me a lefty. No, I'm not. I'm not basically. Like you're saying I'm implying stuff again. But if I make an argument and then you say this all argument right, that the left, we're going to have to. We're going to. We're, we're not going to agree on this. No, as usual, we're not going to agree about anything. How are you this morning? I'm good, thank you. That's good fired to start the day now. with an argument. You're fired <laughs> up, jeez. <laughs> um. So. Happy birthday, Scomo. Happy birthday, Scomo. <laughs> I do hope that he has a good day. I mean, I can't imagine would it would be. Would you agree very that nice. our politicians now are battle hardened? Uh, do you think they've had a lot of match practice, not what you'd call match practice now for um, crises and things like that? I think I was thinking that last night when I look at the uh, Greg Hunt and um, uh, and and Gamer, of course, and a few a few of those other ones that have been in the firing line of this. They've pretty much worked very very hard, and the opposition as well. I think it stands our politicians in general in good stead this whole couple of crises that we've had because they've had to really think on their feet and be on all the time so i think it can only be a good thing i watched parliament yesterday mm-hmm. which is just an Always hour fun. of your a question time <laughs> just an hour of your life you just never get back <laughs> but it was it's a there's an interesting change going on in the parliament and whether it was because they were social distancing and there wasn't as many as there is mm. there normally but there wasn't the same level of vitriol in there there was some intelligent questions being asked by the opposition rather than they they always seem to the last because i do watch parliament a bit it's like watching a car crash you know you the the people that would normally say something just try to catch you out on a point mm. so I, I heard in that to SM breakfast show there just before this uh, uh, that that guy was trying to do the same thing didn't they say this back in april and now they're not doing it but mm, things have changed, changed since then and you can't hold someone but no. they're, they're, this was how federal parliament was you said this back in mm. back in you know you made this uh, and promise. there was one question there yesterday saying um you, do you regret one of the opposition? Well, it's the opposition leader. Right there, I'll, I'll name him Anthony Albanese. I'll name him. And he said, oh, I've got a question for the Prime Minister. Do you regret now saying that the budget is already in a position of surplus uh, six months ago? It's like, well, you know, all this stuff's happened since then. Mm. You know, why bother? Uh, what, what, what kind of points are you trying to score there? Yeah, that's a bit you unnecessary. Know, it's just, I, I thought, do think what a waste of a question. Both sides of politics, and this has been going on for ages, I think, it is always the person, you've got the party in power who are saying, we're doing everything right, and then you have the mm. party who's not in power, and their, their basically political stance was just the opposite of whatever the party in power mm. had, and mm. that really frustrated me for a long time. It does. That still frustrates it me. It still frustrates me, and I do often ask politicians that question when they say, you know, this party is doing this or this government's doing that, and I just say, can you give me an answer that's not actually bagging out the other one? Just yes. I don't have time for that language. Yeah. But I do think that they've probably learnt a lot um i think in the past 12 months particularly i think it would be a 
a hard time to be a politician. I don't think it's an easy job. Um, I think we've got a lot of politicians who are in it for the right reasons, who are trying to do the right thing. Um, and like you said, it's a constantly changing it's world a at the feast. moment. So, you know, <laughs> the election promises that were made a while ago, I just think that we have to accept that a lot of those might not be made because we're not in a surplus at the moment. We're now in a deficit. Correct, correct, yeah. All right, well, we'll go to a break that and we we'll, come back. we'll come back. We'll come back on that. You can go get a cup of tea. Though. I'm really sorry about the start of this show this morning. <laughs> that I want to bring up so the Westpac Rescue Helicopter Service so they have a base that's been operational in Tamworth now for 20 years morning Kim um, yep they do a lot of work in the region so we get their, mm. their press releases every day so they do hospital transfers they um, do some sort of rescue operations normally they hold a few events to help fundraise yeah, the, the ball money. should have been on the Last ball, a few so, other yeah. things, and mm. unfortunately, obviously, face-to-face fundraising and also events are on hold because of coronavirus. So they've switched to an online appeal at the moment. So mm. they're hoping to raise three hundred thousand dollars for the northern region, which we're a part of, and all and that money. And I guess money, it's not cheap to run a helicopter, is it? No, it's, a it's very, not very cheap expensive at all. Piece of equipment. Um, yeah. And you know, it's a type of service that you always want to have around you know because they Mm. can they can get to patients in um difficult positions so if you know you're on you know if you're going for a hike and something's happened you know they are often the ones that get sent out to help um they're basically an icu in the sky the way that they work they are Mm. equipped for everything they um gave me a tour a little while ago when i first arrived and um and they said you know not that they've ever really had to do it but they could technically perform an amputation with the equipment that they have that's how they're set up so it's not Mm. so they've got like a doctor on with them on the in the critical care um team that they've got so they're really really well equipped so if you need them you want them there Mm. um so if you are in a position to donate i would just head to their website and and if you can just every dollar counts uh they are very aware that this region in particular has been, um, you know, it's been hit by bushfires, it's been hit by droughts, so they know that not everyone is in yeah, a position exactly. to donate. Mm. But if you can't donate, just share the link on your Facebook page or... Are we know, sharing it on our page? Yep, on I'll be putting oh, up a story in about an yeah. hour or so. It really is a great service. And I know, you know Dunny's got a story at the moment, Jeff the Voice Dunn has got a story <laughs> at the moment about a uh, mate of his that was mm. uh, carried by the helicopter. He's fine now. Yes. Uh, a bit of a bit of a rod in his ankle now, a little metal rod in his ankle now, um, after a tree fell on him. Yes, you know. So uh, when he was we was out there chopping firewood, I think, and that tree fell down and bounced and landed on his leg and uh, snapped his snapped his ankle. So it's you know anything can happen at any time. Your life can actually change on a on a uh, moment like that. And to have the rescue helicopter, the Westpac rescue helicopter, at our avail is amazing. And it won't be here unless we support it. And that's why we're always pushing it here. So it is such an important piece of equipment, especially if you're living in a regional area, as we are. And uh, and the distances are great, of course, in Australia, as we know. Yes. So th- it's so important to support that. So the Westpac, the, what's, what is their website? You know, this is the westpacrescuehelicopter.org. I'll put that over anyway, but yeah. it is a tough time to be in a charity at the moment as well, isn't it? it? Is, I noticed yes. on the telly last night, I was watching a bit of telly and the Salvation Army Red Shield Appeal is on at the moment. Mm. But they, and they usually, you know, they, they you see them on the knocks, side of the road yep. with a bucket mm-hmm. or they door knock and they can't do any of that this year. It's hard. And it is such a, they, they do support the, 
the the people that fall through the cracks and the mm. and people that just you know haven't had a fair go in life those people and, and people that are homeless and, and just things like anything like that. The Salvos will always give you a go and they're going to struggle this year as well, which is a really sad thing. Uh, so so ma- ba- bear in mind that, you know, while you're shopping online and doing all that sort of stuff online, there are plenty of charities out there and you pick one, you know, don't, don't let me drive you towards one <laughs> or the other because they're all so mm. worthy and it's so important that we just keep trying to, pr- uh, to support them. Uh, and don't let them go because, you know, a lot of the times that Salvation Army, I, I worry about them because they support a lot of people around this country. And, you know, you, you, even from the bloke that comes through the pub with his box, you know, and, and you just throw in a few dollars, mm. you know, there and there, they, they can't do that anymore. And they can't the do the door knock. It doesn't have to be $100. You don't have no. to, to be giving a, a, a lot of money. If all you can afford is $5, that five dollars mm. is going to make a difference because mm. you know if you know a few people are only donating five dollars, that's still a, a substantial amount of money. So don't sort of think that you have to be donating a set amount. Donate what you can, and if you yeah. can't, that's also perfectly fine. But like we said, just let other people know. Just say, have you heard about this charity? You know, I've, make I've the heard. effort. That's yeah. the thing. You've got to make an. E- the the problem is, and I always had this theory when I was working in an office years ago. If you've got raffle tickets to sell for your daughter's netball team, for example, um, and people would send an email around to the all the office and say, "By the way, I'm selling raffle tickets for my my daughter's netball team. Uh, they're dollar each, or you know, three for two dollars, or whatever they were, and uh, just come around and grab one. And you might get one or two out of the whole office." But if you actually went round to people's desks and mm. said, hey, I'm selling these tickets, do you want to buy them? People, most people would just buy one. Yeah. But they wouldn't act on an email. Actively and it's the same you. thing with the Salvo's mm. Red Shield appeal. When they come round and knock on your door, you go, oh, yeah, have five bucks. But can you be bothered going online and mm. doing it? And that's the difference between you know, being out there and knock, door knocking or, or holding a bucket round at the footy or whatever it is. That when you're actually asking people, they'll do it. But if you say, "I oh, just come and do it of your own volition," most people won't. So yes. it's so important, everyone, if you're online, just to just to you know take five minutes out of your day, give five bucks to the rescue re- the rescue helicopter people, uh, and another five to the salvos. If we all do that, you know they'll be fine. Tamworth Zone, twelve eighty seven, two TM, and two TM breakfast with Peter Huxley. After studying global data, or data if you're from England, from the novel coronavirus pandemic, researchers have discovered a strong correlation between severe vitamin D deficiency and mortality rates. Led by Northwestern University, the research team conducted a statistical analysis of data, or data if you're Australian, from hospitals and clinics across China, France, Germany, Italy, Iran, South Korea, Spain, Switzerland, the UK and the US. So a fairly... Uh, statistically significant study, this one, you'd have to say. The researchers noted that patients from countries with high COVID-19 mortality rates, such as Italy, Spain and the UK, had lower levels of vitamin D, that's because POMs don't see any sun, uh, compared to patients in countries that were not as severely affected. We've got a very, very sunshiny place. Ironically, (laughs) the lack of rain might be helping us. This does not mean that everyone, especially those without a known deficiency, need to start hoarding supplements. So let's not start doing that. Uh, the doctor says, well, I think it's important for people to know that vitamin D deficiency might play a role in mortality. We don't need to push vitamin D on everyone. 
This needs further study and I hope our work will stimulate interest in this area. The data may also illuminate the mechanism of mortality which if proven could lead to new therapeutic targets. So interesting there. So how do you get vitamin D? Well, you can get it from the sun. So I've been telling you, I've been telling you to go for a walk in the sun every day. You think I'm just saying that for fun? I was, but now I can sort of link that back. Uh, you get that. Look, there's seven. Here's, here's seven quick ways. <laughs> Spend some time in the sunlight. Not too much. Uh, don't wear sunscreen if you're only going out for 10 minutes and all that sort of stuff. The old, you know what the best thing in the world is? Fatty fish and seafood are among the richest natural food sources of vitamin C, of vitamin D. They do anything, don't they, that fatty fish? Tuna, mackerel, oysters, shrimp, sardines, anchovies, and, of course, salmon are a great thing. That Mushrooms are good. got plenty of vitamin D. They're, they're, they are the only completely plant-based source of vitamin D you can get is in a shroom. Uh, include egg yolks in your diet. So a whole egg. So bacon and egg roll with mushrooms. Bacon and egg with mushrooms. In the sun <laughs> this morning. That's the way to do it. Eat fortified foods because few foods naturally contain high levels of vitamin D. This nutrient is often added to staple goods in a process known as fortification. Uh, so yogurts and things like that. Orange juice sometimes has it uh, if you like plant-based drinks. Uh, soy, almond and hemp drink, which I don't call milk. Uh, of course, you can take a supplement. Uh, or a UV lamp will even do it for you. One of those old-fashioned UV lamps. There you go. So get a little bit more vitamin D in your diet and, uh, and go for a little walk in the sunshine. And who knows? It's got to be good for you. Well, coronavirus has cancelled a lot of events thus far, but one thing it won't get its hands on is the World Naked Bike Ride, which happens in Portland, Oregon. I don't think it happens anywhere else, does it? <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, oh, yes, it does. Well, cities like St. Louis, London and San Francisco have called off the annual nude cycling event. Portland's chapter is simply tweaking the June 27 occasion. That's June 27. Uh, if you want to live you know, tune into the live stream, I'm sure they will. That means encouraging bikers to ride at any time anywhere and maintain six feet of social distancing, one and a half metres as we call it, uh, while doing so. It's only one metre, isn't it? Six feet? Three feet to me, no, it's two metres. It might even take more courage than usual, but if any city has the creativity to make it fun, it's Portland Pedal Palooza, uh, the organisation that oversees the event was quoted as saying. The Berridal Jaunt saw 10,000 riders in Portland last year, 10,000 naked bike riders. Let's give you a moment to take that in. The altered event could take on varying forms, such as those who prefer not to risk their health just to pedal in their birthday suit, can ride their bikes indoors at home. Well, that's not doing anything, is it? That doesn't help anyone. Oh, yeah, I was naked. Yeah, I did it. You probably weren't even on your bike. You had your pyjamas on. If you decide to participate in a public ride, they're recommending blah, 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 all the usual stuff. While visibility for the events causes to encourage body positivity, well, you're not encouraging any body positivity if you don't give us a look. <laughs> so we can say, oh, that's great. <laughs> Fantastic. Very positive. I, I, I urge you to feel positive about those. I mean, that. Uh, at, or both of them, and raise awareness about cyclist safety might be minimised. <laughs> we suspect most people aren't in it for the politics, but rather for feeling f the feeling of freewheeling without any gear on. Damn straight. Ride on. 
So that's what's happening in America. In Portland, Oregon, unfortunately, you can't make it there. Uh, I've changed the pace a bit. Now, of course, uh, Richie Valens has have, would have been having a birthday today had he not uh, died in that fiery plane accident with the big bopper and Buddy Holly. And it would have been his birthday today. So why not play this? It's not his version, but a good one. Get your day underway with 2TM Breakfast with Peter Huxley on Tamworth Zone, 1287 2TM. Have you been watching those shows on the... Well, they come on as an ad and it's these celebrity chefs at home cooking something. I think it's a Coles ad or something like that and they just cook something up and they go, they've just got meatballs or something in front of them and they've got the kids there with them and oh, I'm going to show you how to cook this, something easy at home and we're all at home and all that. And they start cooking the thing and you go, oh, this is a really simple... They say, this is a really simple recipe uh, anyone can do at home. And then they go, right, I've just picked some dill, some basil, some sage and some chard out of my herb garden. Uh, so I just throw that in you. Hang on, hang on. I was good with the meatballs, you know, a few breadcrumbs and an egg. <laughs> oh, some chard. But if you don't have that, you can always put some thyme or fennel in it. <laughs> oh, you've lost me now. I can't do it. They do it every time. <laughs> Starts off as meatballs or, or something simple and then they add all these gourmet touches to it that I haven't got. And I, I always say, and they get me every time. I'm like, oh, yeah, there's that bloke off. What's his name? The bloke that does the coals at Curtis. There's Curtis. He'll come up with something good. Look, just chop this up like this and then throw that in. Then get some herbs out of your herb garden. Uh, we've got some chamomile here, some French tarragon and maybe some catnip and lavender. Uh, don't forget the chives or the St John's wort. <laughs> throw that in as well. Just chop that quick. Just run a knife through it. <laughs> throw that in as well. I haven't got any of that. I don't have herbs. Can we cook something with that? Just do a snitty. Oh, yeah, but you can't have that without flat leaf parsley. <laughs> I can't do it anymore. <laughs> Just give me a seat. Now, why don't someone go in there and go, look, what you do, you get your two slices of bread and here's the trick. You put the butter on the outside then you open it up the other way and you put your tomato, your cheese and your ham in it, bit of salt and pepper, throw that in the fry pan, turn it over, and there you go. Toasted sandwich. How good's that? No herbs. Wake up and face the day with 2TM Breakfast with Peter Huxley. Tamworth Zone, 1287 2TM. Wednesdays is when we do why we don't have hover cars, and this is why we don't have them this week. Hyper-realistic masks are made from flexible materials such as silicone are designed to imitate real human faces down to the every... Not, we're not talking coronavirus masks here, we're talking face masks. Uh, down to every last freckle, wrinkle and strand of real human hair. In a study by the Universities of York and Kyoto, that's the UK and Japan there, researchers asked participants to look at pairs of photographs and decide which was a normal face and which was a mask which was someone wearing a mask. Surprisingly, participants made the wrong call in one in five cases. So the 20% error rate observed in the, study in the study likely underestimates the extent to which people will struggle to tell an artificial face from the real thing outside of the lab. I mean, this sounds like a great thing for bank robbers or something like that, doesn't it? 
The researchers collected data from participants from both the UK and Japan to establish any differences according to race. When asked to choose between the photographs depicting faces, blah, 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 the response times were slower. Uh, oh, sorry, the depict the faces of a different race to that of the trial participant, response times were slower and selections were 5% less accurate. So one in four, that means, doesn't it? 75%. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Dr. Rob Jenkins from the Department of Psychology at the University of York, who's been wasting his time and money on this, in our study, participants had several advantages over ordinary people in everyday life. We made it clear our participants that the task was to identify the mask in each pair of images, and we showed them example masks before the test began. However, they were still unable to decide who had a mask on and who, who didn't in one in five cases, and in some cases, less than that. <laughs> and guess who wins out of it? Yeah, oh, look, this is the next thing in it. In one recent case, an international gang used hyper-realistic masks to impersonate a French minister, defrauding business executives out of millions of pounds. Like, why, are we have th why do we have this? And why are we doing a study on it? <laughs> what possible good use can this come from? It's just concealing an identity to do something dodgy, isn't it? <laughs> and the worst thing is for the for the big criminals, science is validating this for them. They're doing it for free. <laughs> Dr. Jet Sanders, who worked on the study, idiot, said failure to de detect synthetic faces may have important implications for security and crime prevention. As yes, yes, you worked on this. <laughs> as hyper-realistic masks may allow the key characteristics of a person's appearance to be incorrectly identified. These masks are currently cost around a thousand quid, about two thousand Australian, and we expect them to become more more widely used as advances in manufacturing make them more affordable. But what what more widely used for what? ripping us off that my friend is why we don't have hover cars and that is science working against you <laughs>